Hello, welcome to the No Relation NFL Podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. Matt, how you doing as we head into week eight already? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Going well. Hey, uh, I think no game kind of summed up kind of the season as it's developing. Um, then the Seattle-Arizona game, 6-6 tie. What were your thoughts on that, Matt? I mean, just kind of two good teams bumbling their way for 75 minutes? I didn't see it that way. I mean, I, I thought it was highly entertaining, exceptional defense. Um, you know, in the 70s when my Steelers played your Raiders and it was 13-7, nobody complained. It was hard-hitting, great defensive play, although there was awful special teams. You know, I mean, so there, there was some sloppiness, the missed field goals, the terrible special teams in general. You know, that wasn't enjoyable, but it was, you know, a crazy set of circumstances. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I think the 6-6 six to six is what makes people not happy. But I as well, I enjoyed it. It was very dramatic. Um, you knew it. You thought at some point one of these, because there's so many talented football players, somebody was going to make a play, and it was always the defensive guys who were making the plays. I, I, I did think it was a high drama. And I'm one of those guys that like one nothing baseball games, so I was okay with it. But I know there's a lot of people that banged it on Twitter and, you know, it, Bagging on the NFL this year has become a, a real, um, a, you know, a popular thing. So I think a lot of people say, hey, that's, look, at this is not a good product. But I thought it was an exciting product as well. And our producer, Jamie Eisner, he was actually at the game in the stands. Jamie, how are you? Thanks for joining us here. I'm doing well, and I agree with both of you. I think good defense is just can be just as exciting as good offense. Every possession feels like it matters. Every play feels like it matters because anybody that gets anything on the board, you have to wonder if the other team can ever respond. So it was – I mean, you've been to a lot of NFL games. It was intense in there, right? Absolutely, and that's an audience too now that's starting to get used to more defensive running the football type of games after – Carson Palmer would light up the, the scoreboard last year, even a couple years ago, where Kurt Warner back in that their first Super Bowl run. It's just, uh, it was very tense in there because it, the Seahawks and the Cardinals, probably that's the biggest rivalry, I think, for Cardinals fans right now when they mm-hmm. look at the other team in that division. It's the Seahawks games they really get up for because Seattle's kind of pushed them around in their building the last few times they've been out in, in the Glendale area. And, and, and Matt, that was, I mean, that was obviously more hurtful for the, the tie was more hurtful for the Cardinals than the Seahawks because they're chasing them. It was at their house, and they played a near-perfect game on defense. So that had to sting. Uh, certainly the Seahawks didn't fly home feeling great about a tie, but they knew it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you get out of a road trip to Arizona, and kind of like what Jamie was saying, was that this is the probably the best rivalry in the league right now, you know, over the last couple of years. Get out of there with a tie. I mean, I think you take that every time. Not to mention how you know the off, the, the uh, overtime went. You easily could have lost this game, and they are at top of standings. So I mean, this really didn't hurt them at all. I mean, it, it helped them. I think. Um, again, I just thought it was like a really good pitchers duel. You know, I mean, Bob Gibson versus Sandy Koufax. I mean, a great defense, and uh, I do think that it is like you mentioned. It, it's. It's cool to bash the game right now, and ratings are down, and it's so fantasy-driven. People get mad because mm. their guys aren't putting up huge points because it's a 6-6 game. 
but that's not what it's about. You know, I mean, you still have to be a football purist and enjoy both sides of the ball. Um, I, I, something I've been harping on all week, though, is, and I think it contributes to the penalties. I think it contributes to the, quote, poor play. But the offensive linemen in this league are not close to being on par with the defensive linemen in this league right now. Uh, the, the discrepancy there is massive, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, these offensive linemen don't come to the league nearly as NFL-ready as they used to. You know, they, there's so much spread, and a lot of these guys mm-hmm. have never put their hand in the dirt. And free agency, there's not much continuity in, in lines year to year. Um, and where defensive linemen are now so damn good. <laughs> you know, I mean – there's just so many freaks that are athletic and big in all shapes and sizes that I just think the, the defensive line population is so much stronger than the offensive line. So two questions. And we're going to get back to Jamie on, on the game a little bit, but two questions off of that. Can the offensive linemen catch up quickly? Is it going to take a long time? And do you pick offensive linemen early in the draft anymore? Or do you pick defensive linemen more in the first round? Because, I mean, obviously you, you need some – if there is a great offensive lineman and, and say, okay, I got two really good offensive linemen, I mean, that's at a premium. So who's more valuable to draft when, when the defensive linemen are so much better right now? I don't know that answer, you know, because, I mean, obviously if this guy's an A-plus player, an A player at his position, I'd rather have him than a B guard you know what i mean this guy's just a noticeable step better as a defense tackle or defensive end or whatever but you know you also can scheme things up on offense a little bit too and help these guys and all those things too i don't know but i don't see it catching up anytime soon i mean you look at the drafts it used to be you remember back in the day when you would take ogden or baselli or you know one of these guys that was like a top five top ten pick they almost never busted you know orlando pace you know, now you've got Fisher and Jokel. And, I mean, they're, that's Greg Robinson. Robinson, you know, yeah. They, even... they, yeah, all these – oh, you're right. That used to be – they were pick high because they are considered so safe. Right. You know, they were money in the bank. Plug them in from day one. They start for 10 years and go to the Hall of Fame a lot of the time. You know, even yeah. Chris Samuels and guys like that. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Hey, Jamie, so take us to overtime and the – I mean, you're expecting the Cardinals. There's no, they're winning this game, right? This, this chip shot field goal. What was it like when he missed? You know what? It, it was it was stunned silence because, <laughs> despite the fact that we watched uh, in the same side of the field, Catanzaro missed that field goal in the Patriots game that cost him the game, and that same right. side of the field get blocked in the first quarter. There was just the odd sense of it felt in the building. Oh, this is inevitable. They're going to make it. It it didn't matter that J.J. Nelson gets tackled inside the five. It didn't matter David Johnson got pushed out the one. It didn't matter that they had to run the field goal unit on the field because they weren't ready and had to take a delay a game. Everyone's like, oh, no, they'll make it. And and just to hear that clang off of the left upright that just permeated throughout the building, it was just just stunned shock. Okay. I'd imagine. Now take us to Seattle – it was we everybody was the feeling resigned to a loss. Uh, people were walking out of the building. Uh, yeah, the, the aisles were filling up before they lined up for that kick, and I, I think everyone thought, you know what, it's there's no way this is going to happen. This is the old Cardinals all over again. This is how they lose, and and the kick wasn't even close. No, no, it wasn't even close. 
So the few people that are actually watching it got pretty excited, huh? Yeah, and then everyone kind of looked at each other. How do we react to this? How do you feel about a tie? Like, do, or do you celebrate? Do you, do you feel dejected? Uh, but I, I do agree the tie hurts the Cardinals more than it would hurt the Seahawks in this scenario. But mm-hmm. it's, just, it, it didn't, it's a weird feeling for, for a football fan. You don't see this happen very often. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to celebrate a tie, but it's better than, you know, bemoaning a loss. Yeah, and a loss would have really, really put them in a tough spot to try to claw back into the playoff picture because they're, you have, assuming that two teams come out of the NFC North, they're really competing with somebody in the NFC East for that second wild card spot. And I guess they still have an outside shot at that division, which they probably wouldn't have had if they lose it outright. So it gives them a little bit of hope. Yeah, interesting. Well, hey, thanks, Jamie, for that uh, insight. We appreciate it. Not a problem. So, Matt. The Vikings are another big story on, uh, you know, in week seven. And I think so many people on my side of the business go week to week and it's like, oh, my God, they're doomed because they lost one game and they, there is a weakness. And, that you know, weakness with the Vikings is the offensive line. It, are they doomed? Are they no longer a Super Bowl contender because their offensive line had a bad game and they lost? Well, I've been hesitant all along. I mean, their defense is phenomenal, and it showed it again this week. Their special teams and defense have scored a lot of points. I mean, to me, that's not sustainable. Where the Vikings' defense being great is sustainable, that should be something they can lean on all year. And I know it's fresh in everyone's memory to say, well, Denver did it last year. Well, it's awful tough to win, you know, all, all those games that Denver won by three points, you know, a field goal down at the end. They didn't blow anybody out all year. I mean, that's a really difficult recipe. And the, the Vikings were very light at offensive tackle. You know, they had Smith and Khalil, they're big-name guys, but they're not good players. And both of them are out. And then they're throwing Jake Long in the mix, and they're just trying to get anybody to block anyone. And, you know, they're not going to face a defense like Philadelphia's every week and in Philadelphia, but it's a big problem. I mean, their line is very bad, and in order to win 13-10 games, you can't be turning it over, and they haven't up until now, and I don't think Bradford's played over his head, but he didn't get much help. I think they had four drops, no running game at all, so it's not just like they can't protect, but they really haven't had a running game all year, even when Peterson was healthy. To me, that makes them a B-level team as opposed to Seattle or Arizona even or Dallas. You know, that's a big weakness. Yeah. But, I mean, so you, you see them taking a, a, bump, a pretty good stumble back and, you know, losing five more games here. Cause I mean, because you start 5-0, and you think, oh, maybe we can go 13, 14 wins. But is this more of a 10-win team than a, than a 14-win team? Yeah, but they have a, a, enough head start, kind of like you mentioned, that they probably get to 11 or 12 and win the division. And I don't think they're you know in fear of losing uh, a spot in the playoffs or anything, but I'm just comparing them to New England and Seattle or the Steelers at their best or Dallas right now. And uh, Seattle, you know, Seattle's offensive line isn't very good either, but it hasn't been for three years and it hasn't slowed them down. You know, And right. there's hope that it'll get better, and it does every year. Um, I don't see this group getting much better. I mean, maybe they trade for Joe Staley or Joe Thomas. You know, there was talks of those guys, but they already traded their first-round pick. Um, yeah, they don't have much to trade. I'm sorry, what's that? 
they don't have a whole lot left to trade, you know. No, and I don't think they have the cap room either. So right. uh, Jake Long isn't going to turn into the old Jake Long overnight. Uh, I think it's going to be a big problem. And um, it changes how you scheme things. And, you know, can you go deep as much as North Turner and Bradford want? Probably not. And it, it's disheartening because there's not a running game. Right, right. Do you think Bradford, because, you know, he's a guy that sometimes in the past we've seen him kind of get a little glum, show a lack of confidence. Will this first loss and the way it happened, I mean, does, does this take him off his kind of his high, do you think? Is it going to take him a while to get that confidence back, or do you think he'll brush it off? See, I'm kind of a fan. You know, I, I've been a Bradford defender over the years, and, I felt like I was on an island a lot. But even like, of course he has somewhat to blame for a lot of these things, but you can make a long, long list of things that have hampered his career, injuries and the teams he's been on and constant changes, coordinators and all these terrible things. And some of it obviously is his fault. But, you know, I thought he played really well for the second half of last season in Philadelphia in a totally new system. And nobody noticed because everyone was just ripping on Chip Kelly and the rest of the team was falling apart and they never running game. So I'm a believer. I mean, I, I think he's not the, the problem at all. I just don't know. But he needs time. You know, I mean, he's not Russell Wilson back there buying time or, you know, they, the protection I just don't think is going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Now we talked about a little trade. And, you know, the Vikings definitely need a, a, have a need on the offense line, but the, they don't really have the means do you see a guy like Staley and Joe Thomas getting traded in the next week? I mean, is there some natural fits there? Maybe Seattle for Thomas, maybe Denver for both. I mean, do you see fits? The other one I would think, you know, Minnesota is the glaring fit. I bet Bill Belichick would take Joe Thomas, you know. And yeah. It would have to be a contender. Um, Thomas, to me, is worth a lot more than Staley. Staley, I think, has been a great player but doesn't have as much left, and even at his best was not at a Joe Thomas level, where Thomas, to me, is still a top two or three tackle, and he might be a stud left tackle for five more years. Um, and I can see why both these teams would certainly want to move on from those guys. You know, that makes sense, especially if you can get valuable draft picks. But those are really the only teams that come to mind. You know, like Green Bay yeah. doesn't need one. or You know, I mean, it, it, it would have to be the right fit, and – you know, Minnesota without the draft pick kind of, I would think, takes them out of that running. Right. Now, uh, last week, the, a big story around the NFL was Aaron Rodgers, and we talked about it on our show. Um, he came back, and he, 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 you know, he wasn't perfect against Chicago, but he threw for 326 yards. It was his first 300-yard game. He completed 39 passes. That was a team record. He threw 56 times as well. Has that did that performance calm nerves a little bit, or do you think it's still he's you know still got to show that he's out of the woods? I still think they need to show more as an offense, and but this was certainly a good start. I think it's highly encouraging uh, that Devontae Adams really stepped up too. You know, I mean, they needed somebody to really step up from a receiver perspective. They still don't have a lot of verticality. You know, that they're still not mm -hmm. a speed guy because I don't think Nelson's back from an explosion, deep threat, you know, standpoint. And, you know, this past game was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, too, because, you know, they're playing Ty Montgomery and Randall Cobb at running back. You know, I mean, right. 
you can't get away with that every week. I mean, at one point, now Davis has to step up, or, you know, I mean, the Eddie Lacy component needs to be there. But certainly this was an encouraging performance. You know, I've always been a Rodgers believer. I certainly would, was saying, you know, yes, he's not playing to his usual level. He's been a, a problem for sure. But that could, he could snap out of that this second. You know, I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all if the second half of the season he's the best player in the league. Right, right. I, you know what? You don't really root for guys, but I, you like I root for greatness. And I hate when you know really special players kind of have a tough time, whatever the reason it is. And I just think he's a guy that I mean, we're talking about the NFL needs to get better. Having him at a, his typical level that makes the league better. Oh yeah, and I don't root for players anymore either. You know, I mean, I did when I was a kid, of course. But I kind of do for him because before last season, I spent that entire between 2014-2015 offseason sort of on an Aaron Rodgers soapbox saying, guys, don't be surprised if he goes down as the best quarterback that's ever lived. You know, that what he's doing is remarkable. And then Nelson gets hurt and all these terrible things happened last year. And he still hasn't really snapped out of it. So, you know, I, I, I kind of want people to remember that, you know, what he could have been and what I was saying about this guy and was on a historic pace, not just, yeah, he's the best player in the best quarterback in the league, but, you know, he doesn't throw interceptions. I mean, his, his numbers are unbelievable. His highlight reel plays are unbelievable. I mean, I thought, and I still think it's possible, but it doesn't look good since I've been saying it, that he could go down as the best quarterback that's ever played this game. Well, that guy in New England, is this, is he ever going to make a mistake again? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I watched that Steeler game intently, and I do Steeler shows and things around here, and I'm always on the air. And I felt like if you gave Brady and Belichick true serum, I bet they never felt threatened in that game. You know, that yeah. they knew the Steelers were down. We're just going to kind of play not to lose. We might see these guys again. Let's not show them too much. You know, kind of like your big brother playing with the little brother in the backyard. That right. If we really had to turn it on, we'll squash them. And then they did in the end. And let's not get these guys' confidence up too much because they're probably our biggest threat in the AFC if they're right, if we're to meet them again in the AFC championship or something like that. But I, not that they were toying with them, but it was – and they didn't even play their best game. You know, Edelman's dropping passes and, you know, they muff punts and things like that. And they still didn't have a whole lot of problems. Right. Yeah, I just it just it's incredible the level he's playing at after this suspension, you know. I mean, there's just been no rust at all. No, not at all. And like you yeah. you know, like you said to start it was and there's no mistakes, you know. He's like Iceman right. on Top Gun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. Hey, Denver kind of came back yesterday and, and, and won a very Denver game, I thought, and uh, important after losing two games. Um, that that impressed you that, you know, in a game they really had to win, um, that, that they played kind of their way again? Yes, but I also really am down on the opponent. You know, that yeah. Osweiler was dreadful. I mean, yeah. Through 40, I, I, you probably saw the stat, but only one player in history has attempted 40 passes or more and threw for less yardage than what Osweiler did last night. And he had fumbles. Yeah. 
I mean, his body language is bad. It's not like he's close to turning the corner. And then meanwhile, but you're right. I mean, Denver played their game, a real almost even split between Booker and Anderson, you know, C.J. Anderson, interior runs right down their throat, made Will Fork look old. Um, Simeon didn't hurt them and made a throw or two. The defense started picking up in the second half. Von Miller was on fire. And, yeah, I mean, it, that they looked like what a good team should do to a bad team. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Hey, a little trade today. Uh, New England picked up Kyle Van Noy from Detroit. Very typical New England trade, wasn't it? <laughs> really I mean, I saw it, and I'm like, God, that makes so much sense because, you know, a former high pick, second-round pick, hadn't – Hasn't really developed, but he's still young enough to do something. I mean, any thoughts on that deal and and the Belichick fit? Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is it's a typical Belichick move. And by that, and kind of like what you talked about, he has such a history of bringing in somebody that they probably liked a lot during the draft process that got picked high, didn't succeed in the first spot, usually with a bad organization. You know, like he just brought Mingo in from Cleveland, right. and he brought Shane McClellan in from Chicago. Right. And not that these guys are pro bowlers in New England, but there's, there's things that they do well, and there's natural ability there. Van Noy was considered a guy coming out of BYU that he was a little bit of a tweener, you know, in that he was best on the line of scrimmage as sort of a 3-4 outside linebacker type but wasn't really dynamic enough of a pass rusher. So we'll bump him back to more of a K.J. Wright, Sam linebacker in a 4-3 type of mold. And he really hasn't done any of the above all that well. He's had a lot of injuries. But he also, if you look at it half full, like Belichick probably is, is, okay, he might not be Von Miller off the edge, but he kind of does a lot of things well, and that's what we want from our guys, you know, that – uh, he did that with, remember, Ayers. He brought in Ayers, who was a similar player mm-hmm. like that, too, and do a lot of different things with him. And if he doesn't hit for you, who cares? And yeah. you get to a different organization, you start walking in the Patriots building every day, and maybe your attitude changes towards the game, or you realize that if I don't make it now with a guy like Mingo, you may never get the chance again. You know, you're at a near-death experience in some ways, so you better bring your best effort. And, again, if you're going to gamble on a player, might as well be a talented guy. Right. Yeah, it, it, it just made, it made sense to me. Um, can't believe we're this far into the show. Haven't talked about Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott. They seem to uh, get a lot of early airtime on the No Relation NFL podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. <laughs> um, they're playing on Sunday. I'm really fired up to see these guys. And, you know, I mean, we could be talking about this. This matchup for 12 years, so it's so exciting to see the first one. I mean, oh, any? I guess I don't even know what the question is. Or what, what do you expect? I, I expect both of them to be who they are the whole season. I know Winston have a great game against Minnesota, but not many people do. Um, Dallas is probably going to be an easier defense to face, and Dak Prescott has answered every challenge he's met this yeah, year. Yeah, and I'm a believer in both especially Wentz. Um, you're right. I, I would definitely say that this past week was his worst game as a pro. But, you know, the Vikings' defense didn't – I mean, Cam Newton looked bad against them. Aaron Rodgers looked bad against them. You know, right. I mean, every, every quarterback they face looks bad. 
I don't think he completed a pass over 10 yards, which is a little disheartening, obviously. But protection was a problem. Um, I don't think Dallas's defense is nearly, you know, not even close, obviously, to the, the obstacle that Minnesota's is. But you're right. I mean, I don't have a lot to add to the conversation. Like you said, you don't really have a question. But uh, I think that this will be the first of many really good battles between two young quarterbacks that came in the league together the same year. I mean, I'm saying they're Manning and Brady or whatever, but they're. I think they'll both be franchise quarterbacks. Like if Eli or Rivers or Ben would have came into the league in the same division and faced each other twice a year. You know, that would, I think it would be those kind of situations. Right. You know, personally, Dak may have more pressure on him this week because if he doesn't play very well, and the Romo talk will be heating up because Romo's getting closer and closer. If he plays well, he can really, really open his door wide open, you know. So, you know, I, I know it's in Dallas. Wentz will have some pressure. He'll certainly be the, – the crowd will be on him. But Dak has more – Wentz isn't going to lose his job in two weeks. Dak theoretically could. Yeah, he, I guess he could. And there, there's more of that talk surrounding – Dallas, rightfully so. Um, but in the end, I mean, I don't think it would make any of us or Dallas fans or Dallas coaches say, man, I'm not sure if he's a guy or not. You know, like, right. I think all of us are convinced that he's Romo's successor, no matter what. Yeah. It's just whether he keeps, how, just how, how, how long, long he, keep you know, keeps pushing Romo off. You know, I think that's the only question. Right, right. And it's a legitimate one, and you can make a strong argument for both sides. Yep. You know, I we talked earlier in the, in the year when Baltimore was 3-0, and and you said, I just don't feel them at all. I think they're more 8-8, eight and eight, and they've gone and lost four games. They won three really close games, and they lost four winnable games. And that's what they smell like, about an average 8-8 eight and eight team. So the question is, do the Steelers, I know they're, they're banged up, and they're hoping to get Ben back as soon as next week against those Ravens. Do the Steelers have anything to worry about in this division, or are they going to win this thing pretty easily if everybody gets back and healthy? See, I think the Steelers, I mean, this is going to sound very black and gold shaded, but I think they're going to be a juggernaut in the second half of the season. You know, I don't think their yeah. schedule's all that difficult. I think this bye week is at a perfect time or a week late. But Ben practiced today. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. and, you know, he was talking to the sideline reporters in that game saying, if this was a postseason, I'd be back. You know, and he talks a lot, don't get me wrong, but I, I said from day one, no matter what number they put on the injury status, four to six weeks or whatever, I'll always take the under with Roethlisberger. He always comes back mm-hmm. earlier than he should. Sometimes earlier than he should, but he always comes back early. And guys like Hayward and Shazier and, you know, all those – Brown was a little banged up. That Assuming they come out of this bye noticeably healthier, I don't think anybody in the division comes close to them. The only one that I think could is Cincinnati and because I'm not a big Cincinnati fan, don't get me wrong, and I kind of foresaw this coming of this is how the season would go. But now they have Eifert. And their losses at least were to very good teams, you know, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Cowboys. So it, it wasn't like they were playing, you know, losing to bad teams consistently. Where you look at the Ravens now, they just lost to the Jets. I mean, the Jets are bad. I mean, the Jets are one of the 
one right. of the worst five teams in the league. And Baltimore's really banged up, too. You know, Flacco, I don't think, played healthy at all in that game. Their offensive line's really banged up. So, and at their best, I think they're a mediocre team. Yeah, interesting. Does it been, I know, I know nobody should be surprised about Ben coming back early, but did you expect to hear the news that he was actually tossing balls today on a Tuesday, you know, seven days or eight days after his surgery? Right, and who knows? I mean, that maybe he's just sitting, maybe he's not moving around at all, maybe he's not testing the knee, maybe he's just throwing from the shotgun, I don't know, but... I didn't expect that. I mean, especially with a bye. I mean, why even bother this early when you have all next right. week to practice? But, yeah. I mean, I guess it doesn't shock me too much. Yeah, he felt it. Andrew Luck, is, he's kind of quietly having a, a good season, isn't he? I know there's so many so many people are down on the, the team, and, and everybody says, oh, man, he doesn't have any help, and it's killing him. But if you look at his stats, he's doing pretty dang well, and he had a good game on Sunday. Who's that? I didn't hear when you said this. And, Andrew Luck. Oh, man. I mean, you're right. I mean, I think that's a great topic because they're not winning a lot of games. There's not much around them. It's easy to bash the Colts and should they fire their coaches and the front office doesn't know what they're doing. But I can make the argument that Luck is playing better than any quarterback in the league this year. I mean, Brady's only played two games, but he's been great. Matt Ryan's been great and starting to come back to earth a little. But Luck is... And, and no one's talking about it, but he's playing like everyone thought he was going to coming out of Stanford as this next superstar stud. He just doesn't have a lot around him, but he's doing his part and then some. So I think that is, I mean, that is crucial because a lot of people say, oh, you know, is this guy not going to live up to his potential? He didn't have a great year last year and he was injured, but he's really playing well without much around him. I mean, that's a good sign that this guy's going to be a special player for a long time. Yes. There's no, I have no doubt in my mind. I never really doubted him last year, but he's had some bad stretches, and he's turned the ball over, and you know he's been hit a lot, and some of those are his fault. But I've pretty much said since day one of his career that if I'm starting a team and I get to pick one guy, I'm probably taking luck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay Ajayi, I probably screwed up his last name. Um, did you see this coming? I, I know you don't scout young guys terrible, too much coming out of college, but, I mean, this this can happen in, in the NFL where a, a, a low draft pick can come out and, and, and make a real noise at that position. I mean, yeah, and the thing fair? is he's only a low draft pick for one reason, and that's because he has a bone-on-bone knee situation and – you know, all the team doctors dinged him. You know, otherwise he could have been a late first, early second round pick. He's got loads of ability. I've liked him a lot, to be honest with you, for quite some time. Didn't understand why the Dolphins didn't. You know, I mean, Gase didn't draft him. It's his second year in the league. But they, uh, you know, they, they signed C.J. Anderson to an offer sheet. They went out and signed Foster before the season, who retired yesterday. They drafted Drake. They didn't even take Ajayi to Seattle with them in week one. You know, and people forget that, that he was in the doghouse. They didn't even dress him in week one. They left him in Miami. He was healthy. Um, but I've said all along that he's by far their best guy. I mean, that he's their, their best talent. And the key to me is it's the, first, the Steeler game was the first time that their offensive line was back. You know, they were playing without Pouncey, a really good mm-hmm. center. Tunsil's starting to become a stud. 
Albert's back. You know, I think that you know, there's a lot of ability on that offensive line, and they were playing with replacement guys and learning a new system. So now the holes are there. They found their back. He's not going to run for 200 every week. I mean, nobody thinks that, but I think he's very much a guy. And the biggest concern is, you know, how long is his career going to be? I mean, that's that's the doctor's concerns is this this condition with his knee could end his career much quicker than the average guy. But how long do running backs last anyways? You know, I mean, so, and one other note about him too was I guess he was a, a very accomplished soccer player too, and you can see it. He's got really good feet and change of direction like that, and you know, for a 230-pound power back. So you think he can sustain this talent-wise? That it's not a fluke talent-wise. It's just that health is the issue here. Yes, I think he can be a number one back. Yeah, cool, cool. Hey, let's wrap up the show, and I appreciate everybody listening today. Who, what defense is going to be a bigger postseason problem, meaning keeping their team from going far in the playoffs or maybe even getting there? Um, Oakland or Atlanta, both for real offense first teams and having struggles on defense. I trust the Falcons more. I like their I like their division a lot more for their sake. You know that they would really have to screw it up not to win the the South. Although they've lost a few now. You know, all of a sudden it's looking right. like they're not running away. If you just just look at the standings, Tampa Bay's were nipping on their heels. Even though I don't think Tampa Bay's half the team they are. Um, so I trust them much more. I think their offense is legitimately one of the best in the league, and you know. Oakland is too, but I trust Ryan more than I trust Carr. I think if either defense is going to step up, it'll be Oakland's, but they're not close to that right now. And you know, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I have to work on a power rankings tonight. I have no idea. If, I can't even rank the AFC West from 1 to 4, let alone 1 to 32. I can make a case that any of those teams are the best team in the West. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I guess I'd go Denver because defense is so good and and they probably have more talent than everybody. But then I'd probably go Kansas City over Oakland. But I'd have a hard time saying Oakland's number three in a division because, you know, they, they are five and two. And then San Diego could beat all four, three of those teams. Yeah, you know, and you put Denver one, and I can't argue that, but clearly they're the worst at the quarterback position. Yeah, by far, by far, by far, um, right. and they're the Super Bowl champs. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I cover the Raiders a lot, and there's a couple of things. I don't want to take away anything from them being five and two because it's one of the best records in the league. They got a lot of talent, and 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 they're doing great. They, they you know they deserve to be where they are, but the defense is almost historically bad as far as yards per attempt. You know, historically bad. They lead the league in penalties, and they've played two teams with winning records up to this point, almost a halfway point, and they've lost both of those games. So that's a lot of negatives. But yeah. you can argue, say, well, they're 5-2, and two, so who cares? So, but, but I just don't know how that's going to fly later in the season. If you, I just don't know how long you can live in January leading the league in penalties, giving up a a boatload of yards every play, and not knowing how to beat a good team. I, I don't. I, that's just not 
uh, a recipe for a long life in the playoffs. I, I forget who said it on Twitter, and I wish I could quote them, but they said something along the lines of, this Raiders team's about as bad of a 5-2 and two team as you're going to find. I'm, I saw I'm that, too, and I quoted that. it in my podcast. I don't remember who said it either. And, I, and, and my whole point was, well, who cares if five and two? But then you put these things I just said, and and there's some worry. And the Chiefs had no problems with them in Oakland last week. They wore them out. Yeah. But the, you know, the second I, half of maybe the Maybe the Chiefs are the best team in the division if they can just not get in their own way. I, I think you're right. And they could catch fire in the second half of the season, too, and mature and grow as a team. And, they you know, certainly the, the did last year. The second half of that tweet that I'm talking about, though, was – but this is also the best Raiders team that there's in a very long time. I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about that they're better than last year. They're better than year before. You know, I mean, they're they're only going up. Oh, they're. I mean, they they should have a winning record this year for the first time in 13 years, 14 years. Yeah, the Super Bowl year. You know, so I don't want to take away credit, but there is some concern there that can they hang with the big boys when it's time to hang with the big boys? You know, absolutely. Like I, I mean. New England's a different beast in the AFC, you know, but by no means would I, I mean, if, if it was, let's say, the, let's fast forward and it's, it's right now is the AFC Championship Sunday and Oakland's at New England. They're 12 points off. game. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're big dogs there, and I would take the Patriots still. You know, and that AFC, unless they really beat each other down, that AFC West, Champion has a, should probably be the two seed and get the bye. Because Unless the Steelers, Steelers are catch fire, banging, banged yeah, up, yeah, and yeah. you know the AFC West, AFC South not going. They're going to be the four seed. So you know, whoever seed, wins so. the AFC West is going to be really set up well. You know, either be the three or the two. I think depending on Pittsburgh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. And, and talking about if Pittsburgh came into Oakland next week and Ben was playing. I think Pittsburgh would wear them out by 20 points, you know? So, yeah, they might put 40 on. Yeah, so I don't know. But that said, the AFC West, it, it's super intriguing. And if San Diego had just not screwed up one of those games, they'd be 4-3 and three in dang good shape. Yeah, you're right. But there's a lot of football left, and I would think in that division, and I get, well, and to a much lesser degree, the, the AFC South, It'll come down to head versus head. You know, that they'll all beat up on each other, and who has the best record in the division probably emerges. Um, yeah, I mean, it, what's interesting is you look at the AFC North, and it's, it's worse than we thought. You know, where you look at the West, and I think we all thought it would be highly competitive, but it's probably better than we thought, and certainly true yeah. with the NFC East. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the Broncos and them getting back on their track Last night, they can't be thrilled that they've got to face the Chargers again this week. No. Chargers can beat anybody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's in Denver, but, I mean, they Denver wasn't close in that San Diego game. Now they got to go beat them at home, and that that's not a, a fun deal. And then look at you Kansas know. City. Kansas City's 4-2, and 2-0 two, two and oh since the bye really playing Andy Reid-style football. And I just wrote this, this this article. And their next four games are really easy. So they might be 8-2 and two when they go to Denver in week 11. Wow. And then they got Oakland at home later. I think it's the Thursday night game because they've already beat them on the road. So, yeah, 
Like I said, if Kansas City can stay out their their own way, they, they, that might be your team to beat in the AFC West. Yeah, I mean, you can make a case for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Well, great show, Matt. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll get after it next week. And let's, next week, let's do our midseason awards. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. MVPs okay, cool. and look of the year right. and all those good things. Yeah, great. All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening to No Relation NFL Podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson and our special guest, our producer, Jamie Eisner. Thanks a lot, everybody.